Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I am your host, Colin Cernelia. Thank you for joining us today. Go to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Please consider taking a minute and on Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and review. Doing this helps other dynamic leaders find us, and it helps us find other dynamic leaders. And don't forget, you can now ask Alexa to play your favorite Apple Podcasts on any Amazon-enabled device. Just say, Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Cherniglia from Apple Podcasts. On to my featured guest today, I have Jerry Weinstein with me. Jerry is the Colorado Rockies assistant to scouting and player development in Major League Baseball. His coaching career spans more than 40 years, and in 2018, Jerry was the recipient of Baseball America's Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award. With baseball season right around the corner, I thought there was no better person to kick off this week and be a part of this podcast than Jerry. So let's get right into this conversation and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Jerry Weinstein. the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest on the line is Jerry Weinstein. Jerry, thank you so much for joining the show. Colin, good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're able to take some time with us. I know you have the busy season coming up here uh, pretty soon, so uh, I'm glad that we have some time here where we can pick your brain and get your expertise over 40 years of coaching. (laughs) I'll just have to wait for that to pass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting, sitting outside at, yeah. at a coffee shop. I sh- we should be, should unless there's another fire, we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, not not a problem. Uh, that's the uh, the fun that we get to do here on, on the podcast. So um, live 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 radio. <laughs> that's right, Jerry. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective. I, I like to start off my conversations just by. Uh, trying to help people, they listen to this podcast, they want to discover what their talent altitude is. And you've obviously had an opportunity to coach a number of different people at various different levels. What would you say is a common attribute or common attributes that people have as leaders when they go the extra mile to help people develop? Well, I think uh, passion in your field, I think that's number one. And also, uh, uh, you know, knowledge of information is king. And you, you got to have info. Uh, to be a leader, otherwise people are not going to follow you. Uh, but also dealing a having a passion, but also dealing with people who have a passion and and are, are striving for excellence. Uh, that, that's critical. Those two elements. Excellent. I want to dive into those a little bit deeper here in just a minute. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to tell people a little bit about yourself. I mentioned uh, over 40 years of coaching experience, but please tell the listening audience a little bit about who you are. 
well, actually, 62 years. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I currently work for the Colorado Rockies. I'm a, a special advisor in uh, scouting and player development, so I have my hand in on both sides uh, in terms of evaluating players for the draft and also developing players for our big league team. Done that for the last 13 years, and before that, I, I worked for the Dodgers. I was a director of player development, managed numerous uh Minor league teams, uh, been a big league coach a couple of years, uh, had a chance to coach two Olympic teams, a Pan Am team, uh, coached, uh, Team Israel in the WBC, uh, yeah. just <laughs> a lot, lot of stuff over a long period of time and, uh, enjoyed every minute of it. Absolutely. That's an awesome career. And obviously before you got into coaching, you were an athlete yourself and, played sports, I'm sure, growing up and just have a passion, it seems, as you mentioned, that's one of the key ingredients to being a successful coach. But I'm curious from your perspective, how different is it now than it was when you were growing up in terms of when you're talking about development? What are some of the biggest changes in the game between when you were playing to where it is now? Well, I think it's like any other field. There's there's more and better info. Uh, certainly baseball in the last five years uh, with the technological advances and the analytical advances and the uh, outside influences, it's it's not all internal. Uh, baseball was, was kind of inbred, especially professional baseball. And, you know, if you want to work in professional baseball, you had to be a professional baseball player for the most part. And, mm-hmm. and now it's, it's changing. And, you know, the pendulum swings in every field and and the pendulum right now is uh, greatly influenced by uh, outside technological uh, savvy people who uh, are more into the uh, quantitative uh, analysis of the game, and which is good because it's it's substantiating a lot of the beliefs that we've always had, but now we're able to quantify them. Was that a learning curve for you, just having been in the game for so long and relying on more of that intuition versus you know being able to quantify it? Like you said, did you have to go undergo some type of learning curve to catch up with everyone? No, I've always been of that bent. Um, in early on, in the early seventies, you know, I I had my own radar gun built, <laughs> and yeah, I've always been I tried to stay out of the curve. And as far as technology is concerned, I've always been. You know, I think it's probably that I, I I played football and have been very much into film study and things like that. And so I've always tried to stay ahead. Now things are moving very rapidly right now, but uh, in a in a good way. And uh, I think for me that my mo is to use those tools, any tool, all the tools that I can use, but also uh, trying to strike a balance because. On game day, you have to use your eyes as well. It's not all about the the metrics. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Now, did, when you finished up your playing career, did you know that coaching was the avenue that you wanted to get into? Well, I knew before I finished my playing career, I was not a very good player. I knew where my niche would be, and and I, I always played with that in mind in terms of observing how coaches handle things and and studying the game. Uh, the game within the game. And for me, it was always uh, how, how can I make a teammate better? How can I help someone else uh, achieve their goals? And I, I knew limited physically, but uh, uh, that I was limited physically and that I want, I, I felt like I could be a good teacher if I had enough information. Did you feel like the ability to 
gather that information and be able to teach people in that way made up for you not maybe being one of the star players. Cause you see that a lot, right? Where the best players don't always make the best coaches. And a lot of times it's the people who were role players or played a little bit more behind the scenes that end up making a name for themselves, whether they're coaches or managers at the professional level. So do you think that being able to have that, like what was it that separated you from some of the other people that got into the industry around the same time as you? Well, I think the fact that when you don't have ability, you're trying to search every nick and cranny uh, to, to, to develop your own ability. And in that sense, you're, you're gaining a lot of uh, data along the way. The, the people that are maybe a little bit more naturally gifted uh, don't rely on that. But the ones that, that reach the apex are, they have both. They have ability, but they also have info, and they have great work habit, habits, and they work smart and hard. So if there is somebody these days that is trying to get into coaching, is it imperative that they accept the analytical revolution? Like, is there any way that you can be a coach and just go basically off of your gut and intuition and not rely on numbers? Or do you have to use numbers and data and information in order to justify what you're trying to do? I think in today's game, I think that's imperative because not only are are teachers and coaches involved in that, that the analytics and the, the data, but the players are very much involved in analytics and data. And, and if you're going to communicate, you better have a common language. And in order to have that common language, you, you better be tech savvy. Has that made your job in some ways easier now that more players are coming up being used to having the information and wanting the information, whereas some of the other players in the past may have been a little bit more resistant to the idea of using information to make decisions? Uh, I don't know if it's made it easier. I, I think we're making better decisions for players and players are making better decisions for themselves as a result of better info. Okay, awesome. Fair enough. So you've coached from let's see, high school level, junior college, division one college level, minors, majors, the Olympics, like you mentioned, how do you connect to people at different levels, like with different, different styles that are at different points in their lives? How do you take your overarching philosophy and be able to connect at those different levels and at those different points? Well, I think coaching or teaching in general is adapting to the individual differences in your pool and so no matter what you're doing I think it's imperative that uh, everybody's a little bit different how you coach one person is going to be based on personality or past experiences or physical ability it's going to be different you don't coach everybody the same way would you say that throughout your career you for the most part have obviously had a lot of success that that's why you're still coaching but where would you say are some of the areas where challenges continue to pop up that you have to dig a little bit deeper in order to really connect with somebody well uh, I'm you know developing buy-in and trust is is not an easy thing and it takes time and and also you know, I always say not all the fruit gets ripe on at the same time and you have to have patience and, and it's a time consuming process. It's not, uh, I think that's the biggest, uh, the biggest disconnect is cause and effect. You know, if you, if you, if you do something, what effect is it going to have on the individual? And there's, there's no predictive ability relative to that, ha that being a, a connection because there's so many variables in, in, in our sport or any, anything for that matter. So I think that's, that, that 
is the difficult part. And, and uh, certainly when you have information that you think will help someone and, and there's no buy-in, and, you know, that can be frustrating at times. But again, it, it's, it gets right down to individual choice. And I think that that's, that is molded through uh, a lot of different things. And, uh, and one is the relationship you have with that person you're dealing with, but their ability to understand the process relative to, it's not a totally ascending curve. There's peaks and valleys and, and just a realistic approach to individual and player development. When you're trying to build that buy-in and that trust that you mentioned, are you coming at it from the perspective of a representative of the Colorado Rockies, for example, now, or are you coming at it from the perspective of an individual as yourself? Well, I think both. I mean, when I'm working with Colorado Rocky players, certainly I'm representing the organization and our policies and standards and, and, and info, but you know, I, I deal with, you know, all different types of athletes at different times because I do a lot of clinic work and not only with coaches, but with players as well. And so I think the biggest thing, you know, they, they always say you know, they, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they care how much you know or how much of what you know can help them achieve their goal. As ultimately, you've got to be able to affect changes in behavior. Uh, otherwise, you, you, they'll, you know, they'll be friends and they'll, you know, they'll like you, but they, they won't come to you for, for help it's relative to development. Working through that development, when you're doing that with professionals, are you taking the same approach with professionals as you would with amateurs, or is there a different approach that you take with the differentiating levels of experience? Well, again, that's dealing with individual differences, whether they be professional or amateurs or strong or weak or mobile or immobile. I mean, you're always adjusting to every factor that that is is part of the uh, the, the portrait. You know, it's not just one thing, and that's why that's why it's more of an art than a science because you know, assessment and finding learning styles and things like that. I mean, it's very there's there's no it's, there's no hard and fast formula. Yeah, and I I love that. I I think it's really cool that you basically take it on a player by player basis, no matter what the situation is, no matter what level of competition you're at, you just treat everybody as a singular individual person. And that allows you to build those type of relationships that you mentioned where you're building that trust, building that buy-in, and then ultimately you can help them with their development. When it comes to development, obviously that can mean a number of different things. I'm curious in your role now, with the Rockies, how much of the development is physical? So whether it's hitting, pitching, any of the physical skills of playing baseball versus some of the more cultural or mental aspects of development, is there a distinction between the two? Oh, very much so. Ken Revisa, who just passed, uh, was the godfather of the mental game. And I always used to joke with him. We did a lot of clinics together and I always brought him out to when I was at coaching at Sacramento City College. I brought him in every year to talk to our coaches and players, and we used to always joke, I used to tell him, hey, Ken, this is 95% physical and 5% mental. And he says, yeah, he says, but the 5% mental controls the 95% physical. And that is so much the case. We have a tremendous sports psychologist working with us, a guy named Doug Chadwick, who was uh, uh, one of uh, Ken's post-doc uh, students and worked uh, – an ex-officer in the military and was in charge of the mental skills program at West Point. 
and uh, he you know, is carrying the torch for Ken. And, and what he does is the brain controls the body, and we better deal with the brain because what they're thinking basically is what they're doing. And so thinking correctly and making good choices, that mindset piece is you'll never maximize your physical ability until you maximize your mental capabilities in terms of making good choices and being in control of controllables and being uncomfortable, being being comfortable, being uncomfortable and and all those other things that go along with, with our game. But but life in general, you know, there's ups and downs and there's gonna be speed bumps and roadblocks and dealing with adversity is really a big thing and you know, developing self confidence and believing in your abilities is is more mental than physical. How difficult is it to relay that message to somebody that is resistant to the idea of being mentally strong and obviously throwing in there the factor that baseball inherently is a pretty difficult game to play 30% success rate as a hitter makes you a hall of famer. So how do you deal with players that come up through the organization and maybe they're just not as receptive to the idea of being mentally strong and you see them struggle? Is there a way that you can help them get to the other side? Well, number one, and that's not the case usually. And I mean, guys that are more and more and more receptive to developing their mental skills. When I was with the Dodgers, we had Ken uh, as as part of our, our uh, sports psych uh, group, and and players were pretty resistant. It, it was like if you if you talked to the sports psych guy, there was something wrong with you. So <laughs> it was kind of like surreptitious. You know, you, you, you never talked to the guy in front of everybody. It was more in his room. You'd meet up, and now it's guys are very open about getting uh, help in that area. And uh, the buy-in is almost universal. Uh, very infrequent uh, is there a player or a group of players that, that aren't into the mental game. But if they are and they're performing, that's not a problem. But at some point, everybody gets a roadblock and they need help from the outside. It just, with some guys and very few in today's game, just takes a little time. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting to hear of the the shift in the time when you were with the Dodgers and now with the Rockies. And I, I think I've heard that from, uh, I remember CC Sabathia talking about that on his podcast when, even when he first came to the Yankees, which was what, 11 years ago before he retired this year. And he talked about how it was a little taboo to go talk to a, a mental health therapist or professional. And by the time he was done in New York, it was like everyone was doing it. <laughs> it was just, well, it's a case of, you know, baseball or, I mean, I mean, it's anything you're either humbled or you're about to be humbled. <laughs> you know, the ascent is not straight up. You know, like I said before, there's peaks and valleys and you're going to have your, your moments where <laughs> that are very challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Baseball is a really great game to illustrate the game of life. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders podcast is here to help you be a better leader, and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. 
As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. You talked about when you were finishing up your playing career that you knew you always wanted to get into coaching. Did you know that you wanted to go to all these different types of levels and go to all these different types of experiences? Did you have like some type of other vision in your mind? Like you wanted to take over and be the manager of a major league organization, something along those lines. What was, how different is it now looking back when you first started? Was there anything big that stood out to you along your journey? No, I, I, I never had a bucket list. I never thought, hey, I'm working towards this goal or whatever. I always knew that, you know, I'm, I'm always good where my feet are. I'm not thinking about, gee, I wish I was over there or I'm trying to get there or there. That's never been me. I, yeah, I remember in 2000, and, uh, I'm going to say 2011, I was in instructional league. Uh, I, I was managing in Modesto, uh, the general manager at the time, Je- uh, Dan O'Dowd. And then his assistant, Bill Guybet, and our farm director, Jeff Breidish, who's the general manager now, said, hey, we'd like to take you out to dinner. We need to talk to you. Okay, so I go out to dinner with them, and uh, they said, hey, uh, you know, we want you to, to uh, coach in the big leagues. We're going to have young catching, and we want you to be there. And uh, the guy who was, do- was doing it would prefer be- being back in the minor leagues. Got any more fully great guy, sharp, really sharp. And I said, uh, uh, well, I really like managing Modesto. He said, why son? We're talking about coaching in the big leagues. I said, yeah, I know, but <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and so I, you know, that was our conversation. It's not like I have no aspiration. I always talk to coaches about, hey, your job is to eliminate your job. And, you know, I'm not trying to develop codependent players where I have to hold their hand all the way up in the big leagues. And, you know, I don't, I have never had specific goals and things. You know, I just, Kind of just work at my job, do the best I can. Things have happened, and fortunately, good things have happened. And I've been fortunate, certainly in that respect. I've never actually heard a coach say that you should try to have your job be eliminated, like not have your players be codependent on you like that. I'm sure coaches have said it in a way to me, but not quite as clearly and as concisely as you just said it. So I think that's really great perspective. Was that something as far as being able to have the confidence in yourself to be able to succeed in any area? Was that something that was a part of your upbringing? Like, did it come from family? Did it come from teachers, from coaches? Where did that confidence come from? I don't know. I have no idea. I've always felt like (laughs) best lessons are self-taught and I tried to empower players to figure things out for themselves and uh, you know big Socratic method type teacher and always you know make it collaborative and we're you know we're working together to help you achieve your goals or accomplish whatever you want to accomplish it's not about me it's about you figuring this thing out and I think that that has played into that equation uh, and I think it's it's helped players in that respect because you know, you, you better know yourself because there's there's a lot of information out there. Some of it's good, some of it's average, some of it's not good. You better have a pretty good filter. In order to have a filter, you need to know yourself extremely well. And you'll no no coach will ever know a player better than the player knows himself. 
Yeah, I absolutely. I totally love that. What would you say is your method then for helping individuals grow and develop, achieve their goals, but also helping them buy into the larger team aspects and the larger team aspirations that may be there for them as well? What's the method for connecting those two things? Well, you have a standard and, and holding to your standard and the scoreboard rules the day in, in professional baseball. I'm not, not so much in minor leagues where player development is more important than the scoreboard, but, but winning is important. Developing championship type players who have a team first mentality uh, is really critical. And again, it's being consistent. You know, I know at Sacramento City College where I was for 25 years and we had really good players and really good coaches and we won a lot of games. We had a lot of internal competition. So, you know, there was very little internal discipline because if you didn't make good choices with team first and also the individual choices to improve yourself so you can help the team, uh, there was someone just as good as you were waiting right behind you to take your, your desk and your office chair. Competition is uh, definitely a, a great motivator from that. And I think you might have already answered this question, but as far as what player development looks like today, I'm just making an assumption. So tell me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like it was always as much of a priority as it is today. Is that accurate? Well, I think it is accurate, but I think the the uh, demographics of the game uh, make it that make it so because to buy a player that someone else develops costs a lot of money. Right. And when you can develop your own players with your own organizational philosophy in mind, and I, I, I think that's a lot more cost effective, and you have much better control over who who you're getting. You know, a lot of times when you trade for players, you're getting other people's problems. Uh, not always, and but you know your players better than anybody else knows your players, and so I think that's beneficial. And uh, uh, also, the development process uh, has taken on a more complex. With with that being important, that we're developing the total player. It's not just hey, we'll just roll the balls out. There used to be hey, hey, this guy's going to be a big league player, and the way we're going to find out is give him. Uh, is give him 3,000 at-bats in the minor leagues and, and 1,000 innings, and he'll either be a big leaguer or not. And now we're understanding that we can step in and, and affect that development other than just getting the reps in, that we're more proactive relative to the mental game. Uh, assessment and evaluation, the physical side, the sport, the strength and conditioning has uh, taken a huge role, the, the medical side a huge role, because now we're not asking them to do things that their body can't do and we especially from the evaluation and assessment you know there are certain limitations that players have that we can change to allow them to perform in a particular way and again you never know who's who's going to be the guy and you treat every player like he's going to be a big league player and you try to develop every player to the maximum of their ability and there's no telling what their ceiling is so do you think then that the revolution that you just outlined and all the changes that have happened did that start when let's say for example moneyball came about like is that when it really became imperative because 
as you mentioned, it, it's more costly to sign people that come from other organizations. And when you're trading for people, there's a whole list of things that you're not sure about because they're not your players. Is that when it really started, like around the start of this new millennium, or did it start any time before or after that? Well, I would say I would say yes, but the money ball was more, the focus was on the value of data. And I think that probably in the last five years, the focus is on developmental side by good uh, quantitative analysis and and better and more technology to evaluate evaluate performance, whether it's TrackMan where you evaluate spin axis, spin rate, true spin, so on and so forth, or or uh, flash motion where you're evaluating uh, the metrics of the swing or or uh, hit tracks where you're evaluating ball flight after contact and things like that. Uh, that was not part of Moneyball. Moneyball was just purely here are the numbers and, and here's what winning teams, these are the types of, of metrics there that are expressed in that team. And now it's this is more developmental than anything else. Sure. And this is more of a curiosity question and you may or may not know the answer, so I'll just put it out there. But when we're talking about, so like if you were in a corporate organization, for example, and you get an entry level employee, especially if you're at like a smaller type company, there's thoughts of being able to develop that person from the entry level position all the way up through some type of leadership position, maybe not an executive leadership position, but maybe a director, maybe a supervisor. Is there ever a thought in Major League Baseball when these players are coming through and we're working on their development, we're working on the mental side and helping them just become better, well-rounded people that one day that might turn around and they might be a part of the front office and they may be helping you with scouting and development? Does that thought ever go through anybody's head? All the time. All the time. I mean, all, hey, this guy's going to be this guy's going to be, be a great front office guy. This guy's going to be a tremendous teacher coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, you know, there's a lot of uh, tributaries that you can work off of from being a player or, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of GMs and, and front office people who started out as ticket sellers or interns. You'd be surprised where, where the, where they made their entry into professional athletics. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the biggest reason I was asking is and you've mentioned this and I've seen this in my research is obviously front offices in particular are becoming more influenced by outside perspective than maybe at any point in the game's history. So I'm really just curious as to how many players are now being afforded those opportunities that they were in the past. If we're seeing less of that, if we're seeing more of a concerted effort to really refine that and make sure that the the players that can contribute in, in, in a different setting once they retire. So that was the whole reason behind that was just trying to understand are the players, are they just there for development as athletes or are they there for development for more than that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're all, you're, you're seeing the total person and, you know, with our hope is that each and every player gets a chance to help us win a championship as a player, but also you're looking to their future as well. And not only could he help us win a championship for a player, but down the line, he could help us win a championship as a front office guy or as a coach or instructor or whatever. 
Very cool. That is such great insight. Jerry, I'm curious, and you don't have to give away any secrets, but what does the future, you just mentioned it a few sentences ago, but what does the future for you hold as far as your coaching and your development career? How long do you want to keep doing this? Well, I, I don't do anything that I don't want to do. I don't have a timeline, just like I don't have a bucket list. I, you know, I'm going on 77, and I still enjoy baseball now, maybe more than I ever have, just because of the the new baseball, I'll say. It, <laughs> it's different, but it's, uh, you know, I'm challenged every day. You know, the more you know, the less you know, and there's so, there's so many advances that are being made or about to be made that, that make make it more challenging and more interesting and the bar is is moving up every day and it's almost you know i tell guys let your reach exceed your grasp you know and so you're always reaching to be as long as i'm going to do it i want to do it well and in order to do it well i want to stay current and stay ahead of the curve if possible absolutely i've got a couple more questions here before i let you go i wanted to go back for this first question to talk about the first question i asked you and you had mentioned passion and knowledge as being two attributes that leaders have and they showcase when they go the extra mile in developing people. Can we talk about developing passion specifically? I think it's one of those aspects that it's it's almost in a way like leadership where people assume sometimes that leaders are born that way, that they didn't have to go through their own development and figure things out before they got into a position of influence. And I feel like the same thing can be said about passion. Like you don't just wake up and be born into passion for a sports team or for the work that you do. You have to develop that. So how did we develop passion to be able to do something like you have and and coach and be effective? Is there a method that you found is a success way to a successful way to do that? That's, uh, I, I don't know if I can answer that. I just think that if you're legitimate and sincere relative to having a servant mentality and helping others get better, I think that, uh, and then certainly when that does happen, that's a positive aspect and you get positive reinforcement and then you continue to do those things that create positives for you and uh, you help the people around you get better, you'll get positive reinforcement and trust and all good things. And uh, I think when that happens, you're more likely to continue doing those types of things. It's, you know, just positive and negative reinforcement. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to develop passion. Then with the knowledge point, I want to understand. So when you're developing your philosophies or your approaches for how you're going to teach and coach throughout the years, was it, a combination of the hands-on experience, but also the hands-off. So whether it was reading books or maybe now listening to podcasts, how do you go about gaining the knowledge that you need in order to be successful? Well, I'm a big reader. I read a lot of books. I read a book a week, probably, you know, most of them technical books, but I also spend a lot of time following people on the internet and trying to make contact with them. I do a lot of clinics. I always pick clinics where there are other speakers that I want to hear and, and mm-hmm. talk to. I, I just was, uh, I just did one in, uh, in Nashville, pitcher Palooza, a guy named Lance Wheeler puts it on and, and, uh, he ate, put all the speakers in a, in one house in Nashville. And so we were able to sit down and talk and chop things up. And I mean, you have to be, you have to be very deliberate about 
gathering information and reading and, and studying and there's all kinds of information out there and there's a lot of good people and uh, you'll see it in today's game where uh, a large majority of the hires are from below the big league level a lot of uh, academy guys and internet guys guys who are really studying certain aspects of the game that are very specific and less generalist and more specifist uh, you would say and so uh you know there's a lot of great information out there but you have to have to be uh deliberate and purposeful about gathering that information are there one or two books maybe off the top of your head right now that you can shout out as some that were really influential to you oh god i've read so many books what i'm reading (laughs) right now is a book called uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, mm-hmm. and I uh, read another one called Range, which I thought was was pretty good. I like Legacy about the All Blacks. Yes, uh, Pete Carroll's book Win for Win Forever. I think I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, there's so there's so many. I mean, I can't just. Uh, uh, I liked uh, David Goggins' book Can't Hurt Me. Those are a few recently recent books. Cool. I'll uh, other than other than really technical books like uh, <laughs> Supple Leopard and, and some of the, uh, the cognitive neuroscience stuff that uh, kind of get into a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm sure those might be books that listeners of this podcast would be interested in. So I'll definitely throw those all into the show notes and I'll put links to them. I've read a, I've read Pete's, I've read Legacy, so I've read it um, in Atomic Habits too. So um, I can yeah. definitely uh, vouch for that and say that they're great books as well. But I'm, I'm curious to check out the other ones that you mentioned and be able to learn from them as well. So I'll put that all in there in, in the show notes as well. Jerry, I'd love to uh, put your social media. I know you have a pretty large following on Twitter. Do you want to tell us where we can find you on Twitter? It's uh, JW, capital JW, lowercase on, catching, all caps. And then uh, uh, we've got a little website uh, called Weinstein Baseball. And I've got a book I've written on catching. It's on there if you're, if you're interested. Yes, absolutely. And I will put, again, all of that information in the show notes. So real easy F, real easy reference for all of our listeners. Jerry, two last things here before I let you go. The first is you were the 2018 recipient of Baseball America's Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award, which is an award given for lasting contributions to the game of baseball. Can you just give us a quick snapshot into your mind? Like, what was that moment like for you to be recognized in that way? Um, when when JJ uh, Cooper called me from Baseball America and told me, I, I was shocked. I said, "You <laughs> come on, <laughs> an award named after Tony Tony Gwynn, and the first recipient was Cal Ripken, and I'm getting that award. <laughs> Is this some kind of joke?" <laughs> I, was, was, I was almost that that kind of stuff kind of it somewhat embarrasses me. I don't, I don't like to put myself out there necessarily, but certainly, you know, obviously very grateful and, and very appreciative of the award. And that was that. Yes. Well-deserved indeed. And so Jerry, I've had you on the show because you are a dynamic leader and that's the name of the show. And I always like to ask my guests before I let them go, if they can shout out someone who's really been a big influence in their life, whether that's somebody famous that we all know or somebody more personal to you that really stood out from a leadership 
perspective? Is there somebody that you can give a quick shout out to today? You can imagine, yeah, it's <laughs> Today's my anniversary, 53 years. My wife, Andrea, she's, she's the number one influence on everything that I do. Wow, that's awesome. 53 years and still going strong. Uh, congratulations to both of you. Thank you for taking time on the day of your anniversary to do this with us. You bet. I enjoyed it, Colin. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jerry.